Happy Mother's Day. Such a privilege to honor all you ladies today and all you who are biological moms and, uh, and just as importantly, those of you who are spiritual moms and, and, and those of you who are both. Um, we're in a series called Lessons from Kindergarten and we're talking about really a return uh, of our sense of smallness before God is really what this series is about. This humility and return to healthy sense of smallness is without a doubt what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 2, he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we take that to also mean it's going back and reflecting on the truth that parents are Kindergarten teachers, especially moms and ladies, really put into our hearts when we were little things that are consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ, consistent with the Word of God. So we want to go back today, and we want to reflect on some of the things our childhood caretakers told us. And we want to honor that role of ladies in our lives, who, by the way, are the source of most of this wisdom is the ladies in our life moms and other ladies in our life, uh, especially most preschool teachers through the years have been ladies, right? And that's still true today, even though there are more men involved in that field than there used to be. So I want to talk to you about what I think is some of the greatest wisdom shared by moms today and one of the most neglected actions by modern adults. We're going to zero in on one in particular, and it's this, say you're sorry. How many of you moms have said that a lot? Say you're sorry. First, I want to give those some attention to some of the other great questions and statements asked by moms and said by moms and other caretakers. I, I asked for stories this week. I got a few good, a few, got several. I couldn't use them all, but I'm going to use a few. One is, uh, I, uh, how many of you know Craig Wirt is a triplet? Craig Wirt is a triplet. And I love this little story. His mom... Uh, uh, took the three boys when they were age five all to the hospital to get their tonsils taken out. Imagine that, three boys. And they get to the hospital, and they have two rooms. So they think they're going to split up three five-year-old triplets. Now, you, get to, you see the problem with that, right? You, you get it. So mom walks in. The doctor says, okay, which child is going to sleep? in the room alone. And mom looked at the doctor with a pretty stern look and said, you choose. Yeah. I thought that, that a great story. <laughs> so they rearranged it so all three boys could sleep in the same room. <laughs> Remember when you used to spend the night at the hospital to get your tonsils out? Now I think they do it in the parking lot and send you home. <laughs> right? Uh, but here, here's one of the great ones, though. I'm going to show you a short video of a woman named Mrs. Packard, a preschool teacher named Mrs. Packard, who gave a Navy SEAL named Kevin Williams his kind of his start, philosophical start in life with a great quote that I think you're going to want to remember. Mrs. Packard was the name of my kindergarten teacher, and I adored this woman, as I hope most kindergartners do. She had short blonde hair, she was tall, 
and she had round rim glasses. And to be honest with you, I only remember one other thing about Mrs. Packard. And it was during recess one day. It was winter time. There was snow on the ground, and I spied the girl that I had a crush on. Her name was Laura Block. Now, I don't know how the little kindergartners Antilles do it, but back in my day, the way to push that relationship forward was to hit her in the back of the head with a snowball. <laughs> so I proceeded to make said snowball, and I drifted back into her blind spot, and I closed the distance, and I let it loose. Now, I'd like to think that I was proficient at many things as a kindergartner, but throwing snowballs was not one of them. So it sailed over her head, fortunately for Laura, unfortunately for the little girl just beyond Laura, it augured itself into her ear. So you had freezing water rushing to her eardrum. She runs off to tell Mrs. Packard, and I find myself in whatever it is, kindergarten detention, right? No more recess for Kev. And I'm sitting there waiting for Mrs. Packard to, to lecture me, to punish me. And to my surprise, she just asked me a question. She says, what, who, who, who do you want to be when you grow up? So that's an easy question to answer. This is circa 1977, and the answers rhyme with, I want to be a Jedi Knight, and I want to be a firefighter. And, and she said, no, 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 that's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. I asked you who you wanted to be. Don't ever confuse those two questions, because who you are is the mean little boy that just hurt that girl with a snowball. Well, that's pretty edgy. So I sat there ashamed and sad, and confused because the gravity of what she pointed out to me wasn't clear at the time. It wouldn't be clear for years. But Mrs. Packard, see, she got it, right? She knew it. She knew this premium on, on character. And she knew that it's formed at an early age. And she knew that it's probably cost us a lot more than we're willing to pay. She knew that it's a lot tougher to recover it than it is to keep it. Isn't that good? Robert Fulgham is one of the inspirations for this series, of course, with his book many wrote many years ago, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And he uh, tells a story uh, about setting one day. He lives across, he lives in Waco, Texas, and he lives across from an elementary school. And he's sitting there having his coffee one morning, and he hears a mother, they're dropping the kids off at school, and he hears a mother scream, to a child, what on earth have you done? <laughs> How many of your moms ever said that? And he was so intrigued by that, his brain went off to think of all these really deep uh, existential questions that moms ask all the time. In fact, he was so intrigued by it, he was so grateful that, that she had, he, he being a writer, this mother had given him this inspiration that he decides to walk across the street and meet this woman and thank her and talk to her about this statement, what on earth have you done? Think about that statement for a minute. That's a great question, isn't that? That's a deep question. What on earth have you done? <laughs> and he gets over close to her car and she is banging her fist against the steering wheel <laughs> crying the child has gone into the school so he backed off and didn't decided not to have an existential conversation with her <laughs> and then he, he talks to us about to you know 
other statements. But before he does, let me, let me give you an, uh, a, a, a couple of stories in the room of moms who told me they asked that question of their child. Uh, the first is Linda Porch. I don't know if Linda's here this morning, but uh, I know she was going to be traveling, so maybe she's gone today. She said, here's what she wrote me. She said, my daughter, who was probably three or four at the time, had been playing with a friend in our playroom for a little while. They were within earshot, but not always visible to me. After the friend left, I went to help pick up and discovered a toddler-sized plastic chair was covered with crayon drawings. And I asked, what on earth have you done? I say, oh, she said, oh, I didn't do that, says my sweet daughter. My mind raced. Was this the beginning of lies and deception? Where did she learn to tell lies? Why hadn't I been watching more closely? And then she said, I didn't do that chair. And then she looked over at the other chair, and it was colored. (laughs) (laughs) Close to that, close to that is my mother-in-law, Helen Manson, who's on the second row here. She asked of Sherry one day, what in the world are you thinking? That's pretty existential, too. She asked Sherry that when Sherry had cut her bangs two Saturdays in a row when she was three. And to make it worse, they were going to take their Christmas card pictures. So she just cut them completely off and took the picture. Some other questions that that Robert Fulgham asked after that one is, uh, who do you think you are? (laughs) How many mothers ever asked that? (laughs) who do you think you are? What in the name of God are you doing? And this one, what will you think of next? Janice Sullivan gave me one in that one on our beloved Shane. She said, I can remember a time when Shane was about four, he wanted a pet, so we decided on a little hamster. Shane was really quiet, which usually meant he was in some type of mischief. Shane had put his hamster in the -the (laughs) jack-in-the-box. Not sure how much longer it lived, and I realized at the time Shane was too young for a pet, and I'm sure I said, what will you think of next? (laughs) Now let's turn our attention to the wise counsel that comes from the lips of moms and kindergarten teachers all of, probably all over the world. Say you're sorry. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. I want us to talk about why say you're sorry was important to your mom and why we need to regain it. We re- really re- need to regain the power of apology. We need to recover the grace to apologize. So let's hear from some more Bethany kids about saying you're sorry. What is something that you did that you had to say you were sorry for to someone? Um, one time I tripped someone on an accident. One time I, 
I um, accidentally pushed my friend at recess. It's because um, I was playing ball and I accidentally knocked um, her over and she hit her head. How does your mom sound when she's telling you to apologize? What does she say? What does she say? She says, apologize. And then, and then you just do it right away? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And says, Aiden, come and sit in timeout. Brayden, he set up this, like, uh, roller coaster ride. And then um, we were... We were um, pulling the chair back and it fell over. And then Eden hit his head on accident because um, I was sitting on there too. Um, and then I, accid- I accidentally pushed the chair over, so I needed to say I'm sorry. But he didn't even cry and he hit his head. He's such a tuppy. I was in my bed trying to even then Aaliyah run and then jumped on me and pinched me. Do you ever not want to say you're sorry? I always do. You always do. You're that kind. Who usually has to say I'm sorry the most in your whole family? My brothers. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody in your family has to say I'm sorry a lot? I don't really know. You don't really know? Is it you? Maybe. What does it mean to forgive someone? Um, it means to know that um you did something wrong and you want to um you want to say I'm sorry. You won't do it again. Uh, it means that. Let me see what I got here. <laughs> um, like. I'm really, really, really sorry. I think, seriously, I think we're missing a great force in our culture, in our community, in our nation, in our families, in the workplace, and in the marketplace of life by losing this ability to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I that happened. We have uh, missed assignments, lightness for meetings, all chronic lightness, cutting remarks, break room slander and gossip, wasting ma- massive amounts of time, outright noncompliance, and without ever speaking the words, I am sorry. I, I don't know if you find a shortage of that, but I think a lot of us do in the culture that we live in today, a, lot, a shortage of that. Now, now, why is that true? I think there's some reasons it's true. I think, first of all, we're in a litigation-prone Miranda rights culture. You know the Miranda rights? You read your Miranda rights? Everything you, can, everything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. And we've developed this whole uh, idea of legal righteousness, Someone could be guilty as everything, and everybody in the country knows they're guilty, but a court of law declares them uh, not guilty. They're legally righteous. And, and they know, and any of us know, if we get involved in any situation that, that has legal ramifications to it, you better not apologize. 
you better not say sorry because you have just implicated yourself and it could cost you millions of dollars. That's one aspect of life. But that is the legal aspect of life. That's not life inside of your family and inside of your office and even inside your church and life inside of your friendships. Nobody's reading anybody their Miranda rights in the home. I hope not. I hope nobody's reading Miranda rights in the workplace. But you, you can say you're sorry and you will, not, you will not get declared guilty in court. And the other thing is we have an image conscience culture that rewards intimidation. We don't, we don't reward people for humility. We reward people for intimidation. We reward them for b- being a, a domin- dominant and powerful and not humble. We don't reward that. Another thing is uh, we have turned away from confession as a healthy discipline. Now, I grew up in church where confession was preached constantly, out to, probably to an extreme. Probably to an extreme, probably to the point that we were neurotic. Really, we were neurotic because we were we were taught that God, you know, God's going to get you. You better say you better ask God to forgive you quick before. Uh, first, of course, we lived in fear of the rapture. Uh, we lived in fear of the catching away of the bride of Christ. And if you had one speck of sin in your life, you would not go up. Everybody else, and I mean, the, 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 the scariest times because of this heavy, heavy emphasis on the rapture for me as a young person, and I'm going to tell you the scariest time because I knew the greatest and most holy person I knew was my mother. So the scariest times was when I could not find her. And, and only those of you who grew up in rapture cultures understand that, what that was like when mom, could, you would go through the house and she was supposed to be there and she wasn't there. And you just knew, you just knew that she had been raptured and you had been left behind. And so, so we had a strong uh, uh, confession culture. In fact, we had, we had a wooden bench down front. I know you've never, many of you have never seen one of those. Uh, we called it the altar. It was a wooden bench down in front of the church, and we would go regularly, almost every at least once a week. And 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 I don't mean just a, a little simple prayer. We would cry. We would cry to God to God because of our sins and the, and the sins we even thought about, not just the ones we did. We, we have so turned away, and, and we have preached grace, which, is a gr- which we should, and, and some of that wasn't healthy, but I think we've preached that so strong in the church that we've turned away from, from, dis- from confession as a healthy discipline of our lives. That's another reason. I think another reason is um, we have, we've given people a pretty clear teaching on forgiveness, but not a clear teaching on seeking forgiveness. We've given that, yes, confess my sins, confess my sins to, to God and get God, or I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I mean forgiving people who sinned against is what I meant to say. We've, we've talked about that, but we haven't really talked about uh, the power of apologizing or hurting someone. And I think more than anything, all those reasons are true, but more than anything, this is a behavioral pattern established in Genesis chapter 3 by Adam and Eve. Did you ever think about that? Adam, Eve ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, gave to Adam. 
they both did this thing that caused a, a upheaval in in the universe, really, which uh, was highly offensive. They highly offended God. God had given them this gift of the Garden of Eden. He had given this gift of e- eternal life. He had given this huge gift, and they just trashed what God did, and they turned they turn and, and made an alliance with God's greatest foes, the serpent, representing the forces, the dark forces of evil. And when God showed up, they did not say, I'm sorry. Can you imagine that? They did not say, I'm sorry. Instead, the man said, the woman that you created gave me the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the woman looked at God and said, the serpent that you created. And the poor serpent couldn't, was dumbstruck and had nothing to say at that point. God didn't even get an apology. So this problem of not wanting to apologize, this problem of not saying sorry, started from the Garden of Eden, that we could not take responsibility for us hurting another person. I found this article, not even written from a Christian point of view, but written by a lady named Emma Cruz. She said, Have We Stopped Apologizing is the title of the article. She said, It occurred to me the other day when I'd gotten into a disagreement with one of my friends that life is not worth the grudges, the anger, and the tears. We could make our rides much smoother if we remembered that bickering over something that is utterly pointless, that when bickering over something utterly pointless, but I think every single one of us need to think something of something for just a moment. Here's the question. Have we stopped apologizing? It seems to me that apologies do not come easily. I think we started avoiding them more than we used to in the past. Perhaps with age, we get more entitled to being right. As kids, we were taught if you were mean to someone on the playground, you would have to work it out, and the teacher would most likely make you apologize. The next day, you were playing as if nothing happened. Apologies are sometimes all we need and can be a quick fix to the situation. I find a lot of time I'm not mad at someone for what happened, but I am mad because I never got an apology or evidence that they realized they hurt me. Apologies can mend a lot more than we think. Why have we stopped apologizing? Are we protective of our egos? Do we feel a point of weakness if we apologize? Do we think that the person we are fighting with is going to look at us differently if we apologize? Are we going to think the other person is right? It doesn't mean the other person is right when you apologize. It just means you value your relationship more than your ego. It's true. Apologizing shows how much you care to have the other person in your life. You don't always have to admit you're wrong. You can apologize by saying, I'm sorry I hurt you, or I'm sorry you feel that way, which is by no means saying I was wrong. You're right. You may never think your actions were wrong, but you are sorry the other person did not perceive them in the way you wanted them to. Be sincere. A crappy apology is not apologizing at all. Don't be passive-aggressive. If I were to change one thing about myself, it would be to apologize quicker and more often. Just looking someone in the eye and saying, I'm sorry, is so important to do, 
And quicker, and the quicker you do it, the shorter your relationship won't be strained. People go years without apologizing and often come to realize they've wasted so much time. The next time you're in a big fight or a small disagreement, ask yourself if we have stopped to apologize or if we're going to be the one who changes that. You never know what would happen if you wait too long to apologize. Don't be one of the many who've stopped apologizing. I thought that was good. So why do moms know what the rest of us have forgotten? Let me give you some reasons that I think moms say, say you're sorry. One is moms know saying you're sorry is what keeps you from being a barbarian. They know that there's something barbaric about hurting someone intentionally or unintentionally. There's something about causing pain to another person that is pagan, that is barbaric, that is inhumane. Mom realized that they realize that the core of their being, civilized society, is a place where people stop and say, excuse me, I'm sorry. They realize that the core of being civilized is being able to empathize with other people's pain and care about how your actions make other people feel. Some people just stumble through life, you know, with no awareness of how their actions make other people feel. Like we said in that article, saying sorry, sorry doesn't necessarily mean you were wrong, but it means you care about the relationship. I'm not going to let this continue with you feeling that way. I want to know how you feel. Another thing that moms know is that moms know that saying you're sorry helps reap the benefits of being terrific. I know my kids. I know my kids are incredibly terrific, really, really good people. I'm talking about my biological children. So when... I don't want to see them get an unfair reputation for a blunder or a blind spot. I want them to clear it up so they don't eliminate people who would be in their corner if they just knew how great my kid was and how awesome they were. I know quite a few adults, too, who at their core are really good people. They have great values. They would drop everything to come and help you if they really knew you were in need. But because they're always hurting people and not saying sorry, people just don't trust them. So I want you to keep your great reputation as the great person that you really are. You know, you might not believe it, but there's some very serious pain and some very serious abuse that would be healed if some people said, I'm sorry. No question, no doubt in my mind that there are many of you here in this room. You suffered some serious pain from somebody else's actions in your life. Maybe all the way back to childhood. That today, if that person is still living and they were to call you on the phone or come by and simply say, I'm sorry. It would open up a floodgate of grace inside of you that would be transformational. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you, you're thinking, well, people just have to learn to forgive. And you're right. You're right. The responsibility on your part, if you've been hurt, which all of us have, our responsibility is to forgive 
regardless, regardless of what happens. That's, that's our, our responsibility. But for some reason, and I'm not sure I totally understand why, for some reason the Bible doesn't stop there and just say, tell everybody to suck it up and forgive. And it's their, their problem to get over what happened to them. The Bible doesn't say that. But the Bible says if you go before God and you are going to worship him and leave your gift before him and you remember that someone has ought against you, go find your brother. Go find your brother and make it right. Then go back and offer your worship to God because there are, there's something about it that God, yes, he puts responsibility on me to forgive you, and he puts your responsibility on you to forgive me, but God also empowers you to release me by saying, I'm sorry. God also powers you, empowers you to release grace into my life in a way that I don't fully understand. It, is, is there a burden from someone you could lift by saying, I'm sorry for blank? Is there a burden? Could you see something's off with me in my Christian walk and in my life before God if I don't want to make things easier for other people? There's something wrong with me if I don't want to make it as easy as possible for you to know Jesus, as easy as possible for you to have grace. There's something off about me if I don't want to lift your burdens. The Bible says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All the grace of heaven is made available. Think about this. When we say, God, I'm sorry. Think about God. All the grace of heaven. God is so moved by the words, I'm sorry, that he forgives us for the most serious crimes that we could ever commit all the way to murder. This is what we teach in the church. We teach in the church that God is moved to, to release all the redemption from Calvary toward me in my behalf if I simply say, God, I'm sorry. Think about the story of the prodigal. It's easy in the story of the prodigal son to focus only on the father's grace, which that's a good thing to focus on. And the story of the prodigal son, I believe, is mostly about the father's grace. But I've heard preachers all my life, all my life sort of put down the, the, the prodigal's apology. Like that didn't matter. He shouldn't have even said that. He shouldn't have even said, remember, some of you know the story, maybe some of you don't, but this young man goes and lives a horrible life and takes half of his family and his inheritance and he wastes it on partying and all of that. And he comes back, he comes to his senses one day, what a crazy thing he's done. And he goes back to the father and he meets the father and the father's waiting on him. That's the grace that we believe God gives us. And he meets the father, meets him out on the road. And there's all kinds of wonderful insights and preaching points that we could make on the father running out to meet him because Jewish dads never ran and grown men didn't run in Jewish culture. And Jesus is showing this father running out to meet the son. And we just get in the church, we get so caught up with this grace, and we should. I, I, we ought to be awfully caught up in it. But, but we, don't, we don't want to give some credit to this young man who says, Dad, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your servants. I'm telling you, that wasn't, what saved him, but it was the key to releasing the grace of the Father. If he had come back with this 
nose in the air and snot dripping off his chin, acting like some jerk, he would not have entered in to the inheritance and the, and, and the grace that the Father had for him. Because the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. So saying you're sorry releases the grace of God. It doesn't produce it. Only God can produce it. It doesn't make it happen. This is not salvation by works. It's the opposite of salvation by works. It's the very opposite of that. But this is, this is how God has wired the universe. He's wired every one of us to release grace to people who say sorry. We all have that image of Richard Nixon going, I am not a crook. Right? I believe the trajectory of Richard Nixon's career might have been different if he just said, I'm sorry. At least our, our image of him would be different. He wouldn't have that ridiculous image of saying I'm not a crook. See, you may be in a, the prodigal, go back to the prodigal story, the prodigal with me for a second. You may be an apology away from a party. Some of you don't know that story well enough, but the father threw a party for the son. He's killed the fatted calf. He put the robe on him, the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, gave him highest honor. The Bible says before honor comes humility. Some great things are waiting on some of your lives. Quit worrying about how people need to just forgive you and take care of the apology. I said, quit worrying about that people just need to forgive you and they need to quit being so sensitive. That's not your responsibility. And take care of saying, I am sorry. That's what mom would tell you, right? Moms know, let's move on today. Moms know saying you're sorry is the quickest way to sanity and restore relationships. One of the reasons you do that, Mom, I think, is you just want the chaos to stop. And, 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 and I mean, you would serve, like we did the other day, like Eden told on us, you would serve cookies and milk if you thought that would do it. You just want the chaos to stop. And the quickest way for, for many of your situations that are, are floating around there today, the quickest way you could stop the chaos is say, I'm sorry. It's true that Christ calls us to forgive. People who don't say sorry, we're called to forgive them. That's why he said when you stand praying, forgive. But he puts an almost unbearable burden on others. We put an unbearable burden on others when, when they have to always find emotional balance all by themselves. We call that, by the way, unilateral forgiveness. That's forgiving when no one asks you to forgive them. We call it unilateral forgiveness, and it's necessary if you're going to walk with God and stay in the grace of God. And let me tell you something, it's important. But forgiveness alone doesn't restore relationships. To restore a relationship, you've got to say, I'm sorry. Amen? Beverly Engel wrote a wonderful book called The Power of Apology. Now, Beverly had a, a very abusive and painful relationship with her mother for 35 years. In fact... Her earlier book was called Divorcing Your Parent. And she actually advised people to divorce their parents. I'm not saying I agree with that, but that's what she did. 
Here's what she wrote in her book. One day the phone rang, she said. When I picked up, the person on the other end of the line said, I'm sorry. This is after 35 years. It was my mother. And listen to what she said. And this is why this has to be of God. And she's not even writing from a Christian perspective, by the way. Aren't you glad that God is into humans and not just Christians? Aren't you glad that God has created, amen. God has created principles. God has created principles that on, uh, based on how humans work because we're created by him in his image. So things that work will work at church and they work at work and they work, in, they work with atheists and they work with everybody because they're, 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 they're consistent with how everything is wired. So listen to her words. It was my mother. Waves of relief washed over me. Resentment, fear, and anger drained out of me. Much to my surprise, those two simple words seemed to wipe away years of pain and bitterness. They were the words I had been waiting to hear most of my life. I knew that I had taken, it had taken all the courage my extremely proud mother could muster to say them. So I didn't have to belabor the point. The important thing was that she was saying she was, the important thing was that she was saying she was sorry, something she had never done before. I could tell by the tone of her voice that she truly regretted the way she had treated me. I didn't yet know if her behavior toward me would be different. This I tested over time. But by apologizing, she acknowledged that I had a reason to be hurt and angry, and that was extremely empowering for me. Apology, listen what she said, apology changed my life. What if you could change somebody's life today? She goes on to say, I believe it can change yours as well, almost like magic. Apology has the power to repair harm, mend relationships, soothe wounds, and heal broken hearts. Her mom died three years later. Do you have anybody like that that you need to say sorry to? I'd rather make a mistake and say sorry when I really didn't have to than to end my journey knowing I missed somebody that I should have said sorry to. Moms know, here's another another point I want to share with you today. Moms know saying you're sorry means you're carrying band-aids instead of daggers. It's very important to teach your children to carry band-aids around instead of daggers. We have a lot of daggers, you know. When things happen, we have the dagger. One of the big daggers is the dagger of silence. The dagger of blame. Well, because you did so-and-so, I did so-and-so. Then there's the dagger of excuses, which is kind of in the same category. I was, I was really tired. I was really exhausted. I, I, I had a headache. I didn't feel good. Somebody had... I had a bad day at work. Those are daggers when you need to hear, just need to hear, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a dagger of accusation. And then there, and we won't even talk about that. We don't have time. I see the clock back there. I need to wrap this up. Then there's a doctor. I love the dagger. I don't love it, but it's there. The dagger of historical hysteria. You know, wherever there's... 
whatever there's hysteria, there's history. <laughs> you did the same thing to me seven years, two hours, and 39 minutes ago. Wouldn't it be like to just say, I'm sorry? Of course it would be. But our sinful nature, we don't do the easy thing. We do the hard thing. Also, finally, moms know saying you're sorry. This is so important. Moms know saying you're sorry is the way to break negative patterns. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we're liars. The truth is not in us. You know that? We all have self-sabotaging, relationship-damaging patterns. All of us. Breaking free would only add to your effectiveness as a human being, not to mention your relationship with God. So what does this have to do with saying you're sorry? Simple. Listen, this is, this, this is worth coming to church for. If you will establish the pattern of saying you're sorry, you will break negative patterns in your life for two reasons. Number one, humility releases the grace of God to help you. First. Second, if saying you're sorry becomes a mandate for you, you will get so sick and tired of the pain of having to apologize, you will stop behaving irresponsibly. I will promise you. <laughs> Amen? How to give a meaningful apology. Let me close with this. Regret. Give a statement of regret. Your intention may not have been to cause harm, but you recognize that you have caused harm. So say, I'm sorry that hurt you. Don't say, I'm, I'm sorry if I hurt you. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm sorry that you're hurt. I'm sorry I hurt you. Secondly, take responsibility. That means not blaming even if the pain was caused by something not intentional, or even if you did nothing wrong, that focus, on, focus on their pain and focus on your percentage of the blame pie. Blame pie is 100%. If your blame pie, if your percentage is 10%, go apologize for your 10% and don't touch the 90%. Don't touch it. I said, don't touch it. It's really hard. If your blame is 20, don't touch the 80. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Save that for another conversation. There is a place for a confrontation, I agree, but don't mix your apologies with confrontation or you will, it will never work. The third R is remedy. A statement of willingness to remedy the situation. You can't undo the past. You can't repair harm that's been done. You can't. But a meaningful apology means I'm going to do it differently next time. I love the following story. One morning, listen, and we'll close with this. One morning, Carpenter knocked on a man's door. He said, I'm looking for a few days' work. Perhaps you would have a few small jobs here and there. Yes, said the older brother. Look across the creek at that farm. That's my brother. And that's my neighbor. Last week, my brother took his bulldozer to the river levee and created this creek between us from what, from what used to be a meadow. I want you to build an eight-foot fence so I don't have to see his place anymore. Carpenter said, I think I can un understand your situation. I'll help you. The older brother helped the carpenter get the materials ready before he disappeared. The carpenter worked hard all day measuring, sawing, nailing, about sunset, when the farmer returned, his eyes opened wide, his jaws dropped, a bridge with handrails. 
and all, everything stretched from one side of the creek to the other. The younger brother was crossing the bridge, his hand outstretched, and he said, you are quite a brother to build this bridge after all I've said and done. They turned to see the carpenter leave. No, wait, stay a few days. I have a lot of projects for you to do, said the older brother. The carpenter replied, I love to stay, but I have many bridges to build. My question to you, you know, you know moms, you know how you feel about wanting your kids to love each other? One of the great heartbreaks of being a mom. I think moms even feel it deeper than dads. We, we still have this, dads, we got this problem with throw some dirt on it, you know. Get back out there. Moms want their children to love each other. I know my mom was just crazy. She was obsessed with it, wanting to make sure my brother and I loved each other and cared about each other. I believe that's part of the nature of God. And I believe God looks at all of you today and he wants you guys to love each other. And he wants you to care about each part of it. Part of the burden you can pick up this morning is to care about the other person's feelings. And be willing and able, where it's necessary, to say, I'm sorry. And here's what we want to do. We want to close the service with a very special prayer for the biological moms in the place. And we acknowledge this day is more than about more than that now. But we want to put you first. So we want all the biological moms to stand up. I want you to stand up, all of you who have children. What a great group. You look awesome. And then we want you to, we're going we're gonna to give you a gift. But, but first, we want to say a prayer. We want to acknowledge you. Now, so I want you all to come up front and just stand across the front. Stand across the front. And I want you to face me at first, and then I'm going to have you turn around in just a second. Wow, what an awesome group of moms here today. This is fantastic. You know, I, I know that right now the culture, the culture is really preaching this message, and you you can't you cannot have missed it. Yeah, adoptive. Uh, yeah, somebody uh, somebody kept me from. Uh, hurting myself badly today. If you're an adoptive mom, that works, to, yeah, you come. You know, there's this cultural message right now, the fierce female. You know, it's really, really out there. And, and I, there's, a, there's some really good things to say about that and need for that, but I don't think that's the highest calling. I think you're already, I think there's already, what I preached this morning is so courageous. It's so courageous, the role that you've already played in all of our lives. And God bless you with any type of success that, he, that you seek and being successful in life. That's just awesome. But don't leave that other behind. Don't leave that other behind that we preached about this morning as being the source of wisdom that you already are. You didn't need any movement or anybody to, to tell you this thing that you're already doing that Nobody else is doing as well as you have done it. Do you hear me? Nobody else has done it as well as you have done it. And that's to be the source of wisdom. That all of us, when we were little boys and little girls, we had you. It hardly ever was dad. It hardly ever was some guy. It was you that were telling us these things that form the fabric of a good life. And if we don't listen to you, 
we have a terrible life. That's mom, that's you. That's you. That's you. That's what you've already done before Gloria Steinem ever came along. Before any of these movements that that all have some truth to them and some necessary. And yes, yes, you haven't been treated right. You haven't been treated fair. And for that, I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize for how men have sinned against you and hurt you. And I apologize for what culture has done. But don't forget that you are already great. Don't forget that you were already powerful before anybody told you you were powerful. I want to say a prayer for you, and then I'm going to have you turn and face the congregation. Father, I pray a prayer of blessing this morning on the women that are at Bethany Community Church this morning, and they're a part of this great fellowship. I pray a blessing of power on them, and I, I pray for the hurts that they have. And I know many of them are standing here today would just dream that somebody would call and apologize today. And for some of them, it's not going to happen for a million reasons. It's not going to happen. So I pray a special grace on the mom here today who needs an apology from somebody, an an ex-spouse or a dad or mom. They're probably not going to get it today. So I just ask you, God, be their heavenly father who pours grace into their hearts today. Lord, be that one who makes up the difference in their life so they can let go of that pain today and let go of that hurt. And I pray, God, that you will do that. And I pray for them, maybe some of them that are standing here today, you brought to mind a place in their life they need to offer an apology. Maybe they need to, some of the women who are here today, Lord, need to do that. And I pray that you would just bring that very clear, not in a condemning way, not in a paralyzing way, not in a way that brings shame, but in a way that actually taps in on that power because it is a powerful thing to be able to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Release them to do that. Bless them in their ministries, their careers, and their continued role as moms to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn and face the audience, and I want all of you men to stand and give them a standing ovation. And and ladies out there. Wow, wow. This is amazing. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.